Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, make your second half of life the better half. I'm here today with a terrific guest, Scott Possessor, who is Senior Vice President of Executive Alliance, a national recruiting firm, and a career and job hunting expert who has been in the staffing field for more than 25 years. Scott and I are going to talk about a whole range of job issues for those in mid-career or anywhere along the career trajectory in good times and not so good times. Now, before I introduce you to Scott, I just wanted to take a few minutes to reflect on Martin Luther King Day today, of course. I think this year it takes on a particular significance, given the current state of affairs of our country, which I think we can say is fairly unsettled. I've always appreciated Dr. King's messages, which I felt were, you know, unique. They were balanced with both forceful and peaceful, urgent, yet patient. Uh, last week, I wrote a blog in my RoboResources.com website. I called it Flight 2021, based on an email that was circulating around the Internet that I liked about what attitude we should adopt as we take off in 2021. Now, I realize it may be difficult to think about planning for the next 45 years when these days we're trying to figure out what's going to happen in the next 45 minutes. And I know that Flight 2021 is going to be a bumpy ride, but I believe there will be a safe landing. Of course, I'm not sure exactly what the runway will be where we'll land on, but that's part of my mission with 45 Forward, to help you find the right runway. It's going to take time and action persistence and patience. I just want to leave you with one thought before we talk to Scott. One quote from Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. It's a simple line. It just says, out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. So now it's time to meet our guest, Scott Possessor. Okay. So Scott, let's let's talk a bit, a bit about, um, first of all, how, how you and I met in 1987. Um, I think we both know that the occasion, it was a um, it was the Black Monday, the stock market crash of 1987, and it was pretty uh, tumultuous. Um, the stock market lost about almost a quarter of its value. And I remember one analyst saying to me, if you're not confused, you're misinformed. So, Scott, tell me about you know how we met a little bit. Why don't you finish the story? Well, I was uh, trying to get quoted in Newsday a little bit because I had this burning desire based on the fact that Newsday kept uh, the people used to write for running, they, they kept quoting this firm called Challenger Gray and Christmas in Chicago and giving tips about how to find a job. So I kept writing to Ron, the workplace uh, beat writer, and I said, Ron, why do you keep quoting this firm in, in, uh, in, in Chicago when, you, when I'm right here? You know, so he, he, and, of course, Ron wouldn't give me the right time of day being a journalist and all that stuff. So uh, right. I, 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 kept, I kept writing, kept at it, and then wham, the stock market crashes, right? October 1987. So about two days later, my phone rings, and who is it? It's Ron, the guy I've been trying to reach, the person I've been trying to cajole into using some of my information. And it turns funny after this because Ron you know, said, well, what should job hunters do? And I used a word that I had never used before and have never used since. So I said, they should move precipitously. And I get up the next day, folks, 
and is in giant block letters. Move precipitously, says Scott Possessor, <laughs> president of Career Planning Consult. So I'm like, oh, my God. And that's when I called Ron, and we actually had a funny conversation. I said, Ron, you had me on the phone for 45 minutes. The best you could come up with was move precipitously. And I started whining and complaining. And um, eventually we started talking about the Yankees. And somehow I wound up at Ron's wedding, and we became friends. And, uh, you know, there's one more piece of the story, Ron, if you have another half a minute. Uh, it sure. was your yeah. article in Newsday is the reason that I got my TV show on News 12. Okay? Oh, and, and it was, again, it was a, a story that, based on the friendship that had begun with the stock market crash. I was trying to get a, a TV show on News 12, uh, the local station here, and Ron did a story on it. And I did all this without even speaking to, to the folks at Cablevision. Um, and uh, sure enough, they saw the story hated my show. The show was terrible because it was my first show, and you know how first shows are. Um, and, uh, but then they gave me a second show when they saw Ronnie's article, and then the rest is history. I was, on the, I was on the air for 24 years and now six years on radio. Wow, that's a great story. Great story. Well, here we are again. Uh, we seem to meet up in uh, you know, various kinds of, lo- of, of occasions, and, and here we are. Now it's not a stock market crash, but in other kinds of crashes we've, we've been through. And so now we're in a, in a COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and uh, let, let's just sort of switch to where we are now with the, the current situation. So another crisis situation. Should people move precipitously? What should people do at this point? <laughs> I'm going to ask you to remove that, that word from your vocabulary during this interview. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but, yeah, it's very tricky right now, Ron. Um, it's interesting. The job market is, is, is a series of different things. It isn't one thing. So, for example, we have a recruiter here that does a restoration. And he was, you know, not doing terribly well, but all of a sudden, because of all the homes that have to be cleaned and, and fumigated uh, from COVID, this guy is now on fire. Um, I do, I do something uh, with a company that is in the scientific area, uh, and they make the uh, reagents for the COVID vaccines and, the, and for the testing kits. So the company's on fire. They've got over 1,000 job openings at the present time. So there are wow. areas that are doing good. That was my point. There are areas that are doing very good. Then you have the traditional areas, you know, that aren't doing very good. They've had to lay people off there. Look at the hospitality industry, for goodness sake. I, I feel sorriest for them because through no fault of their own, there's just all of a sudden they're competing for a 75% less jobs. So um, it, it was very tricky here on Long Island for people in the hospitality industry. So you have to go industry by industry to see who's affected. But if you're in an industry that has been adversely affected, uh, you're now competing for far fewer jobs, and you need to be that much more uh, on the money with your job campaign. Right, right. So... Let's, let's uh, talk about that, about how to be on the money a little bit more. Um, obviously, the job market has changed a lot over the years, uh, and a lot of stuff, especially now, of course, it's changed even more with, with COVID. A lot of stuff is online. How has that changed the, the job hunting process, especially, Scott, if you're like a lot of people, all of a sudden, if you've been laid off, you're in mid-career. What do you do to get back in the market, especially when there seem to be, from what I hear, a lot of obstacles online to getting through past the gatekeepers? Yes, I, I call them black holes. We, we, uh, oh. A lot of people are forced to submit their resume through an applicant tracking system, 
one that is rather unpleasant and cold most of the time. Uh, so you put your resume into this black hole. You never hear anything. You don't get a response from, from anybody, really. Um, and then maybe eventually you get a turn down, but sometimes you get absolutely nothing. In other words, no recognition at all that you even submitted your resume. Uh, that's right. very frustrating to job hunters. So, so um, th- what I tell people is, yeah, there's plenty of good leads for jobs in the, in the uh, classifieds in Career Builder, in ZipRecruiter, in uh, LinkedIn Recruiter, which is a, a great service, um, but you're not done. And, and we just talked about this uh, last article I wrote for a local paper here, out here on Long Island, Ron. Um, there is no longer the ability to answer a post. You're not done. If, if all you're doing is sending your resume out there to posts, you're, you're not job hunting. You think you're job hunting, but you're only kidding yourself. What you need to do in a case like that is recognize who the company is, Go after that company, connect with people on LinkedIn that work for that company, get to know somebody until you get, to get somebody that can walk your resume into the hiring manager. Now you're job hunting. But if you're only answering that post, you are doing a clerical function, not a higher thinking job hunting function. Right, right. Now, just got, so for, for people to know, our listeners should know, uh, they can hear they can hear more about this and actually see your article um, because I posted it on my website um, uh, roelresource.com and you can click on 45 forward resources and you can see the whole article so it's a great article and I'm glad you did it and uh, it's it's got some some a great approach to how to get past uh, and and beyond the black hole um, now anything else that's changed in the in the job market in terms of, you know, well, both sides, media. Go ahead. Well, cover letters. Cover letters have really changed uh-huh. because they used to be a very big part of, of the approach. And today, right. applicant tracking systems barely give you an opportunity to submit a cover letter. Uh, very often, the cover letter is separated from the resume. Uh, by design, they do it on purpose. Uh, you've got to, therefore, have a fantastic summary on your resume over 20 years of progressively responsible experience in staffing, proven expertise in development, of in fulfillment, in business development, right. uh, bringing in new vertical markets. So the, your, your summary at the top of the resume has to pull together all the relevant pieces to the job you're applying for in place of a cover letter. Right, right. Now, do people actually see cover letters these days? If it's separated and you're applying online, what happens to that cover letter? Does it get it depends on the, and the specific applicant tracking system that you're using. Some of them absolutely don't even give you a chance to have a cover letter. So the, mm. the email that you accompany with the attachment sometimes is your cover letter. Uh, but again, it gets separated from the resumes, Ron. They keep the resumes in a pile. So um, it, it's just it, a cover letter can't help you anymore. You, you've got to do it in the resume. Right, right, right. Now, one of the things that we've talked about and uh, featured in your episode description is, is just this notion of, um, you know, stealth job hunting. You know, you've, you've adopted some techniques from uh, sort of, uh, you know, a, what do you call a ninja approach. Talk a little bit about that. What do we mean by that? Well, first of all, I was very moved by a series of books I read um, some years ago by an author by the name of Stephen K. Hayes, who wrote, uh, I don't know, about 12 books 
about the ninja. He also went to Japan and worked with and studied the ninja and their ancestors and did research and, into their fighting arts and uh, all about them. And it was, I found it very interesting because I said, you know, kind of, I always felt like someone who's, who's sort of half businessman, you know, half warrior, you know, and, and so mm-hmm. I got right to that, to that um, it, it kind of struck me right away, the, the, the whole idea of being a ninja job hunter. They were smart. They were quick. They were resourceful. They did all their homework. They even studied the rudiments of, of meteorology so they could go into the enemy's camp during a lightning and thunderstorm and scare the, scare the mm-hmm. heck out of them. And, right. and uh, so, so all of these uh, intimidation techniques, uh, invisible walking, you know, ninjutsu actually stands for invisibility, um, uh, it moved me to write a book for HarperCollins called Ninja Secrets of Persuasion. Now, I will say the book was never published because the, the uh, publisher actually wrote to me and said, hey, good book, but we decided not to publish it because it popularizes a Japanese theme in American business society. <laughs> and I thought, well, you had two chances to tell me that before. Why am I, you right. know, why am I finishing the book? But anyway, these things happen, but uh, I, was, I, I always like to think of a, of a stealth job hunter as someone who's really job hunting all the time. This is the search that never ends, Ronnie. So even mm-hmm. when you get mm-hmm. that new job, and you're now in position thinking you won't have to look for a job again for years to come. Wrong. You all, we right. all must job hunt all the time. Right. That's, right. Why you, that's how you don't run into problems. That, that's how you're more, more assertive and more on top of things rather than being right. reactive to losing your job. Right. 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 Yeah, it reminds me a little bit. I remember years ago when I was at Newsday, I had an opportunity to interview Richard Bowles. Who did that? Uh, you know, colors your parachute. Right? What, what colors your parachute? Right. And what I hadn't realized is that one of his techniques, his main technique, he had basically adopted from a guy named John Crystal, um, who basically took his uh, job hunting approach uh, and he adapted it from his experience in World War II as a spy. <laughs> you know, right. basically, you know, how do you get information? How do you get past the people you need to find out about? Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's very much you need to have sort of a strategy to, to get past the obstacles that are going to be there, you know, in your way. And they will be there. They always will be there. So um, so um, so now uh, let's see. I think we're going to uh, we just have a, a couple of minutes before we need to take a break. Um, but um, uh, let's uh, think about talking about some specific situations. Um, uh, now, I know you were involved in. in in the outplacement of, of many um, uh, workers uh, after 9-11. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that experience, all these dislocated workers. What did you learn from that experience? Boy, that was something else, Ronnie. Um, that took place right after 9-11. We got a contract with the uh, Long Island, local federation of labor here on Long Island. We had had approximately 1,000 people that lived on Long Island but worked in the downtown area whose buildings were destroyed by, by, by 9-11. And, of course, they needed new jobs, but they also needed counseling, and some of them were unbelievably upset. I would hear stories, Ron, they'd come, you know, they'd come to my office. We had an appointment, an appointment, an appointment, and they'd come into my office. And I remember one guy who had worked for a financial firm told me that, um, that 960 people that he worked with died, and he did not oh. die because he was sick that day and didn't go to work. 
Wow. And the guilt, wow. you know, that he felt. So a lot of the people that I was working with at the time were broken and uh, in no shape to, to go looking for a job. Some of them even breaking into tears, you know, while they were telling me the stories. And I said, well, you're no, <laughs> that's not a good candidacy for a job if you're going to cry on an interview. So I had to work with them and counsel them and give them time and give them exercises. And we actually had a counseling agency that we worked uh, partners with. And I, if I thought they were really bad, I sent them to the counselor. But that program went on for about a year, and we had a 100% placement record. All 1,000 people were employed within 12 months. Wow. That's great. That's great. So let's just take a quick break here for uh, from our hear from our um, Voice America sponsors. Um, and But let's just pause right there, take that thought coming forward, and uh, we'll be back to you in a very short time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're on the line with uh, Scott Possessor, a premier expert in job hunting and career switching. So, Scott, most of our audience is designed uh, to think about, you know, how do we plan forward, you know, from our midlife, you know. So in terms of uh, job hunting and career switching, how, how does this affect your strategies uh, in, in midlife? Well, let me just start by making a comment. Uh, I, you, know, sure. you know how people say the, the new 55 is the new 45 and the new 65 right. is the new 50? Right. I really believe that, honest to God. Uh, compared to when mm-hmm. we were kids, Ron, you know, you and I both being over the age of 100. The, 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 <laughs> the, when we were kids, it was, it was a completely, completely different story than it is today. Right. So, so uh, most of the time, uh, people are, are thinking that they're old when they're not. So that's, that's really bad, Ron. That, that's something that we should talk to the listeners about because, because just because you're 55 years old or 60 years old, it doesn't mean anything anymore. And why do I say that? Because there's nothing on your resume that indicates how old you are. And if there is, take it out. Because right. there's no place right. on your resume for something that reveals your age. That goes for a young person as well. 
it, it, it's not, it goes for all people. I would like uh, candidates to be chosen based on, their ex- on the correctness and appropriateness of the relevance of their experience, not their age, not their sex, not their, uh, their status in life or, or, or anything like that. In fact, I don't believe that there should be names on resumes. Because if, if you've got it in your head that, you, uh, that, that you're some sort of a, uh, you know, anti-immigrant kind of person and you get a, um, a, a, a resume from a candidate with an Indian name, you're going to say, well, uh, let me look at the person with the Caucasian name. So I think you give people a chance to discriminate against you if you give them any information. So uh, when my son named his, um, my granddaughter, he named her Avery. So the name might be considered both male or female. How interesting. And that she yeah. would not be evaluated based on her sex. So uh, I don't think that there should be anything personal on a resume. It should be the experience, you choose me based on the experience, and if I don't have it, then you don't choose me. But if I do have it, it has nothing to do with my age. Right, right. Well, how, how do you deal with the issues of, you know, um, age discrimination when it's not overt, when you think it may be... Um, Maybe present, and uh, but no one's saying anything. Um, can't prove anything. How do you how do you handle that situation when you feel that you're not? Are you talking about because... someone that's already working or someone that's job hunting? So, someone who's or no, who is is job hunting? Yeah. Okay, so so there there's no way that if you're looking at my resume that you're going to know how old I am. Uh huh. You will you will you will be wondering what my age is. So how can you discriminate against me? Right. Okay. Okay. My age is not on there. My date of birth is not on there. My the year that I graduated from college is not on there. I mean, you know, my experience doesn't go back to the 1970s. It goes, you mm-hmm. know, it goes back to 2000. Right. So, okay. so if you think about it, how can a person, unless you're silly enough to give them a, to help them discriminate and give them something mm-hmm. about your age or year you graduated from school, uh, they don't know, and they and they shouldn't know. Right. So you should limit basically the, uh, the the dates in terms of your experience. You shouldn't. I mean, so for me, I wouldn't go back to the the last century, for example. Yes. Well, which would still be too early for you. But but I, I, in my opinion, <laughs> you, you know, maybe you go back to the 1990s and, and mm-hmm. the mid 1990s and up. But if you have okay. experience from the 80s or the 70s, it does not exist. Right. 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 Now, do you think that there is so? Uh, I've been involved with this group that I, that the people who are in kind of mid career and in their fifties, and some are a little bit older, some are a little younger. But it is interesting that, that a lot of them are, are feeling, um, you know, just the way you mentioned is that um, you know that there's a sense of pride, like, well, I may be middle aged, but and actually the group calls themselves not done yet, you know, mm-hmm. because there's this sense that. Um, even though we're, we're getting older as a society, there's no question. Um, there still seems to be, you know, a sense of, you know, of youth is to be revered. And from my experience, it's like, well, the energy is to be revered, but not the experience. And I, I get the sense that a lot of people feel that um, they're, they're not really being given enough credit for their experience. I think, I think it's safe to say, Ron, that everybody feels inadequate when it comes to job hunting. So mm-hmm. if you're a young person, you're wishing you were older and had more experience. Huh. If you're a middle-aged person, you, you kind of you, you don't touch anything because you're, you're the ideal candidate in this world. 
And if you're a person who's 60 plus, you're starting to think, well, nobody's going to want me. You know, and then that reflects on your attitude. You'd be so amazed, Ron, how important a person's voice tone and attitude are, particularly when they're a little bit short on experience or very, very heavy and getting up there in, in years. Uh, so you've always got to be positive. I mean, if you think about it, I'm 66 years old, and mm-hmm. I do my best not to sound like a 66-year-old person. So I try to stay young and keep colloquial expressions and think young, and, and that's what's important. If, if people were to hear me and say, oh, my goodness, this is some geezer, you know, well, that's, then, then I'm right. out of luck. You know? right. but, but it's right. important how you sound, your tone, your enthusiasm, your level of excitement, um, your passion. Um, th- these are things that are very hard to go to. Right, right. So you don't see any sense that people talk about sort of a generational war in the, in the workplace between the baby boomers who don't want to let go and retire, uh, maybe because they can't or don't want to, and the upcoming generations that feel like uh, you need to move out of the way. It's, it's time for a new generation. Do you sense any, any of that tension or is that uh, uh, something that something people should worry about or, or basically well, you know, interesting. how do we get along? I, I don't. Yeah, I, I've never, I've never really heard or seen that. Uh, I, I, I might have, I think I read an article about it once, but I've never seen it in practice. Uh, I don't know that there's any kind of a movement or, or anything that's coordinated. Uh, I'll take the more experienced candidate over the the less experienced candidate any day of the week, and that's because I've been mm-hmm. around long enough and hired enough people to know that you, you go by experience. Depth of experience means a lot. Chronological years of experience means a lot. So if someone's just right. doing a job for a year or two, they're not as attractive to me. So basically I'm going to discriminate against the, young, the younger person you know, in, in the field that I'm in uh, unless my company clearly wants an early stage uh, candidate. Right, right. Do do you find out that I mean I I you know anecdotally you hear stories about companies that that do try to ease out you know people in their fifties and sixties it seems like you know looking you know they're looking to shed costs and to get younger workers even if they uh, if they don't uh, you know have as much experience do you have any thoughts for people if if they if you feel that you're you're somewhat you know at at risk for a, for somebody for a company or a firm that's uh, trying to you know, supposedly get younger, as they say? If you're experiencing real discrimination, I would call the EEOC today. Okay. Because that's what they exist for, Ron. There's, no, there's not supposed to be anything more but a level, a level playing field. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission exists to help people who are being discriminated against. Uh, sometimes it's because of a disability, which is even uglier, but very often it's age discrimination. And um, mm-hmm. they will take your case and, and win it for you without charging you a penny. Um, and because there are organizations like the EEOC, companies are a little bit more shy in the last several years to, uh, to, to demonstrate uh, age harassment than they were some years ago when it was the, the Wild West. I think it's fallen into a pattern of you don't discriminate against age. Right, right. Right. I mean, corporations yeah, I have a lot more to lose, Ronnie. Uh, if it's a small company with only 12 employees, you know, anything goes. But if you're dealing with right. a company with 100-plus employees or 1,000-plus employees, they have to, you know, they have to really watch what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I, I recall, you know, years ago, now we're talking about the 1970s during, you know, the height of the aerospace industry in, in our area that, um, you know, that there, you know, there were, this affected my dad quite a bit, you know, in that, um, uh, you know, that basically uh, companies would get, you know, these government contracts and they'd finish and then they would not have another contract and lose them. And, and they would they would lay off, you know, thousands of people. And um, he always had the attitude of, uh, you know, what? wait a minute, you know, we, we have good quality engineers. We know we're going to get another contract. Why don't you... You know, why don't you talk to people and say, listen, we can just sort of, you know, contract a little bit, you know, and take a, a salary uh, postponement or, you know, short-term cuts and just sort of stay together until we uh, get another contract, as opposed to just laying off, you know, 2,000 workers and then having to rehire workers when you get a new contract. Um, yeah. Has there been any change in terms of, you know, companies doing this sort of stuff? To obviously, well, they, they aeros- need to you mentioned aerospace. which I think is a very interesting industry. Uh, And, Ron, it's one of those industries like accounting, which used to have the big eight and the big six and the big four. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aerospace, the same thing. So you used to have uh, thousands of aerospace companies all over the country, uh, but slowly but surely the the bigger fish have swallowed the smaller fish. So uh, in Mm -hmm. the case of uh, a a big uh, $19 billion company like Harris Corporation, it used to be called AIL Eaton. Then it was called Edo. Mm -hmm. Then it was called um, uh, Harris. Then Harris got together with uh, another giant company and changed the name again. And each time there's all these stock trades and all these machinations, but the companies can no longer afford to have massive layoffs. If they think that business can come back, They've learned a, a, a bad lesson in, in, in that in that being too loose with your employees and letting two thousand people go uh, today. I mean, look at Boeing with the with that horrible uh, Max plane that they had, the, the seven thirty seven right. Max that right. let mm-hmm. the stock drop mm-hmm. through the floor. Um, yeah, they had some layoffs, but not too many. And 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 those mm-hmm. people are more furloughed than led. So I think the industry, the aerospace industry in particular, has changed. The, you're not seeing these massive. Um, uh, you know, hirings and massive layoffs, it's a lot more stable than it used to be. And I think that does go across the board. I think companies that are in the, in the, um, have the habit of laying, laying people off, hiring them back, laying them off, they just get a bad rap on um, websites like Glassdoor uh, for being unreliable and cruel to their employees and so on and so on. And companies don't do it anymore. They, there's some good checks and balances in place these days. Yeah, no, that's interesting because, you know, so that's one of the things I wouldn't, wasn't thinking about in terms of, you know, the development of, of media and the Internet um, hasn't, in a, an interesting way, kind of provided some, some sort of checks and balances or at least feedback. And, and so are, are companies more worried these days about, about the reputation just for, because of social media? Yeah, I mean, look at uh, look what's happening. Um, you know, with the recent politics. You know, people are mm-hmm. uh, when a politician does something bad. You know, the, the sponsors just pull away, like, the next day. They're, they're mm-hmm. gone. You know, millions right. of dollars worth of sponsorship. So, so um, uh, I, I do think that they, they fear retribution more than they used to because of social media, and I think uh-huh. that has added a sense of calm to the job market. Interesting. Interesting. Um, now, we, we just have a couple minutes before we're going to take another break, but um, uh, I think we, I'd like to talk about 
So, so let's let's uh, think about um, other things that may have changed over the over time, such as um, preparing for interviews. How has that mm. changed? Well, it's changed a lot. Uh, again, if I if I just use my own business as an example, um, uh, we're doing a lot of Zoom interviews, and, and the companies mm. that I'm working with are doing a lot of Zoom interviews. So now, instead of preparing people, you know, for the the basic questions and how to answer them, the goals, the accomplishments. You know, what did you overcome? Uh, tell me about your education and career. Why do you want to leave your current company? What compensation are you looking for? These are very standard questions that have been happening, Ron, for 40 years. And they're, and they're, never, and they're not going anywhere, they're those same questions. But, you know, things do change. And now, because you're doing so many Zoom interviews, you know, I counsel people, hey, put some extra light on the subject. Have some good lighting. Uh, make sure the screen behind you, the, mm, the wall behind you doesn't have any crushed beer cans or, uh, or, or, <laughs> or inappropriate photos, you know. Or, or, or uh, I had one person, believe it or not, uh, have a cigarette ashtray on his desk during a video interview. And they, the company called me the next day and they said, he's a really good candidate, but we question the judgment of any candidate that would have a cigarette uh, butt ashtray on their desk. So they didn't hire him. So it's a lot more, what does it look like? Remember, 70% of communication is nonverbal, Ronald. So, so you you know, what does your facial expression look like? You know, are you, how does your posture look? You know, what about the, what about the suit you're wearing? What about the, the, uh, uh, that you, what about your hair? Did you get a haircut? You know, I mean, things are, you really have to start counseling them in other areas in addition to all the same standard um, questions that would come up. Um, you know, and of course, people don't prepare. I mean, I, right. I, I, also, right. I often talk about the level of preparation. That was, that's the, article, uh, the other article I gave to your listeners, Ron, was, was um, how much time do you prepare for a job interview? So I ask right. you this question, what's more important, a job interview or a college paper? I think a job interview. <laughs> so do I. And I think most right. people would agree. But I never put right. less than five or ten hours into a college paper. So why aren't we putting five or ten hours into preparing for This is what, what gets me, is that candidates right. have an opportunity to really shine on a job interview, right. whether they're 45 years old or 55 years old or 65 years old. No matter how old you are, when you're asked, why do you want to work for blankety-blank company, you've got to have a passionate answer that really shows that you've digested the entire company and you're not just spitting right. back an answer a rehearsed right. answer, but you're answering right. from your gut. Right. Scott, so let's take a pause right there. Let's hold that thought, and we'll come back more and do a little deeper digging into this whole interviewing process when we come back from the break. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from Scott Possessor. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mac. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Okay, so we are back with Scott Possessor, and we were talking about interviewing techniques. And I'm going to go back to that, and Scott's going to share some of his ninja secrets about interviewing. Okay, well, when I studied the ninja, I, I discovered they had very powerful beliefs, and it was, they actually believed they could fly. You know, they weren't right about that one, but, you know, they believed it. <laughs> um, they also had uh, superior knowledge about everything. That This is just a, uh, an entire... Uh, community of people that knew everything about everything. They, they knowledge was their stock and trade. They would much rather break into a camp and steal the plans for battle than actually battle you on the battlefield. You know, people think of them as killers and assassins and all. Oh, not true. They were very peace-loving folks. Um, but, but they had these powerful beliefs, this superior knowledge. They had the mastery of the skies. They would wear black at night. They would, uh, they would wear gray during the day. They would dress as circus people uh, going from town to town when, in fact, they were actually a, uh, a, a band of, uh, of warriors uh, trying to head off a battle or do something uh, on a political front to save their people. Um, so, so they had the mastery of the skies, and then they had this wonderful anticipation. They always seemed to know exactly what was going to happen with the weather or with other things that were going on, which helped them. And then they were extremely resourceful. They were just the, the most resourceful people I've ever read about. Um, and uh, that's why I recommend those books that Stephen, Case, uh, Stephen Gay Hayes wrote. Uh, they're on Ronnie's uh, website. Um, and um, mm-hmm. so when you add all those things together, powerful beliefs, superior knowledge, the mastery of the skies, anticipation, resourcefulness, and one more, chameleon power. They used to be able to change wow. their, like, you know, like circus people. They, they would, you know, and then they would pull a little uh, sword out of their little cane that they were walking on. You know? So they were very tricky and so on. But then I noticed the similarity between that and what a job hunter needs to do. A job hunter needs to believe that he's the candidate for the job. He needs superior mm-hmm. knowledge of the company. He needs the mastery of the skies. He's got to look like his, uh, his outfit came from central casting, right? Uh, he's got to learn to anticipate what these interviewers are going to ask. And he's got to be resourceful. Everybody wants a resourceful job candidate. Don't you ever think, I don't care what you're being interviewed for, that your most important skill is not resourcefulness. It is. You know, I did a, I, did a, uh, I used to do a lot of workshops and stuff, Ron, and I used to say, what's the biggest movie of all time? I'll guarantee you that the, that the star of the movie was the most resourceful character imaginable. And if you look back oh, at just the big movies of all times, um, uh, Titanic, Leonardo DiCaprio was no superhero, but he was resourceful as heck. 
And mm-hmm. that's why he survived, you know, being shot at and drowned and all that other stuff. Um, and, and, right. and this has always been my contention, that Americans love a resourceful person, and companies love resourceful job candidates. So I saw the similarity between the ninja and, what they, and how they were brought up, and the job hunter, what he needs to know, and I therefore have this tip based on that. The, there's a communication um, piece of this, Ron, we are able to communicate with the person that's interviewing you with the right brush, like painting right. with the right brush. So let's say that your interviewer has uh, dirt stains on his light switch. His tie is crooked. He's got piles of paper on the floor. Um, he's just not uh, amazingly sharp in his appearance. That's very likely an auditory or kinesthetic communicator, um, mm-hmm. not a visual. A visual communicator, right. you don't see any stains on the light switch. The guy is perfectly dressed. His shoes are perfectly polished. His collar is perfectly pressed. Everything about his desk is perfectly neat. Um, and what I like to teach people is to communicate with people using their own style. So there are three styles, visual, auditory, kinesthetic. And mm-hmm. if it's a visual person, so let's say I'm a real estate agent, Ron, and I'm, gonna, okay. I'm trying to sell you a house, and I think that you're a visual communicator. So I would say to you, Ron, imagine what this house would look like um, with, uh, at dusk with the snow falling on the roof gently as a backdrop. So that conjures up an image for you. But if I thought you were an auditory communicator, um, I might say, hey, with this house, you won't find any screeching horns or, uh, or, or screeching sirens or honking horns. You'll just hear the gentle chirping of crickets. Mm-hmm. And that sets up mm-hmm. an audio uh, for the person who's an auditory communicator. And then kinesthetic, you know, how would it feel driving up this driveway? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, every night. No. You know, so so, so the, these little differences help you communicate with the right brush with the person who's interviewing you. And if you can match their communication style and you look sharp and you've research, done all your homework, you have a great chance to get the job. Right. Now, are there any quick ways you can size up what, what your interviewer's communication style is? Yes, and and you can do it immediately. All you need to Mm -hmm. do is ask them something. So, um, you know, anything. So if I said to you, um, uh, what do you remember? What's the the first thing you remember about 9-11? Well, uh, you might say, well, I I heard it on the radio or I I saw it on the TV or uh, I felt like hell afterwards. I mean, people will tell you what their style is. In other mm-hmm, words, if, mm-hmm. if you tell me you saw it on, you heard it on the radio, well, that doesn't mean you didn't see it on TV. What you tr- but what you felt necessary to tell me was that you heard it on the radio. Right, right. So that makes right. you auditory. Right. So, so people it. reveal their styles very quickly and very easily as soon as they describe just about anything. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So let me just uh, ask you, uh, shift a little bit here and ask you about... Um, and obviously, you know, you could provide a lot of help and advice and assistance to people, but are there ways that people can kind of put together a, you know, kind of a support team when they're job hunting, especially in, in mid, mid-career, whether are there networking groups, uh, skill building seminars, career counselors, who should they, you know, assemble as part of their team? Well, sometimes when you're laid off, you know, you're given an outplacement consultant, which the company pays for, but that's less and less popular. So I wouldn't. I would. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's that's more more unlikely to happen than likely. Uh, but I certainly believe in a personal support system. Uh, I could not. I've, I've been unemployed twice and job hunted for as many as three or four months at a time, 
Couldn't have done it without mm-hmm. my wife. She, she was my sounding board. I said, honey, I'm going to change the resume. Can you give it a look and make sure, you know, she would try to pick it apart. Uh, I'm going to write this, you know, this letter to this person. What do you think? Uh, she even helped me with my spreadsheets and, uh, so that I could track it. But you need a partner in crime, absolutely. A spouse comes in handy for this sort of thing or a best friend, okay? But uh, definitely a, a support group of several people. And I, I, I like to call them cornerstones, Ron. What, when you, no, if you look at your LinkedIn network, if you looked at your LinkedIn network, you, you probably mm-hmm. have about five or ten people that are really influential in the field that you're in uh, and powerful. They know people. They're connected. And they like you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that makes right. them a cornerstone. Okay? So, right. so then they become part of your network. They become the first and most important part of your network because their connections very often can lead to a job. I see. So would you say, though, that in terms of, of this building cornerstones and other kinds of um, entrees and recognition, is LinkedIn the, the key among social media, or how do you relate to them as opposed to, to Facebook or other kinds of social media at this point? Well, just to show you, uh, you know, flipping my nose, I am not on Facebook. I hate Facebook. Uh-huh. I, 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 just, I just don't think it's worth anything. Uh, I, on the other hand, I think LinkedIn is fabulous. Uh, I use mm-hmm. LinkedIn Recruiter every day. That's how I find people. Like everybody's mm-hmm. resume in one place at one time with uh, amazing search capability. LinkedIn also mm-hmm. has jobs posted that are often um, not on other websites. So, so uh, mm-hmm. I, if you're looking for a job, don't just go to Career Builder and ZipRecruiter. Go to LinkedIn's jobs, and you'll be very pleasantly surprised at what you find and how easy yeah. it is to apply for those jobs. So, so uh, mm-hmm. I think LinkedIn is the tool of this millennium. And, uh, and I think it's just getting better and, and more and better as we go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 uh, I think Facebook is useful, you know, for social connections, sharing information and stories and so forth. But for, for strictly for job hunting and, and career issues, it seems to me the LinkedIn is the, the network for professional, you know, connection and involvement. Um, and, and you're finding so, new ones, too. There's a new one out there called BizShout which is also the sponsor of my radio show, and they have a website that's similar to Facebook and similar to LinkedIn, but it allows you to post rich text, like videos and uh, colorful resumes and uh, things that you've done, like your Instagram page and all that stuff. It's kind of all in one spot. Uh, so I, I, I think there's up-and-coming platforms all the time, and Bishout is one of those to look for. Now, what is that called? It's called B I Z. B I double Z S H O U T. Okay, interesting. Okay, okay. Uh, now you know you mentioned, of course, that um, that you had, you know had a TV show and a radio show, and uh, so what did you, you? And you're still doing the radio show, um, right. Every Saturday, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So, what do you learn from in terms of this kind of feedback from an audience? Because you have a you know, two-pronged people. You, you hear from people who are looking for jobs, but also from companies that are offering jobs. And uh, what do you learn from, from that kind of approach where you're going to the companies and they're telling you how, to, how they're looking for people? Yes. Well, every time we have a company on the show that does have jobs, very often it's the talent acquisition people or somebody from human resources. And then I always ask mm-hmm. them their pet peeves. Well, you know, like, what are your pet peeves? Well, what do you look for with candidates? What should candidates never do? What should candidates always do? So I'm, I'm always mm-hmm. getting that feedback directly from an individual company 
which either right. almost all the time supports what I've been saying on the radio program. Right, right. So, so what are some of the things, that, just a couple of the things they say that you should never do? Well, don't use slang. So, so mm-hmm. that, you know, there's no, there's no reason on an interview to use any slang words. Certainly not <laughs> profanity, my goodness. But I'm not talking about profanity. I'm talking about slang. Speak professionally. You know, uh, speak, use your vocabulary, use your intelligence, show people how smart you are on a job interview. Don't get lulled into a false sense of security with someone that's very off the cuff. So that's one mistake mm-hmm. that, that people can make. Um, the other thing is dress plus, I call it plus one. Always dress a little bit better than what companies expect you to wear. So even if you're a mechanic, right, and, and you work at an aerospace company and you're a mechanic, um, that doesn't mean you don't wear a suit to the, to the job interview. Maybe a suit's mm-hmm. a little bit overkill, but a, a jacket and tie and dress pants and dress shoes. You know, so you really need to, to coordinate what you wear with the job you're going after. If you're a banker, uh, perhaps a black suit with white pinstripes. You know? If you're a salesman, mm-hmm. maybe a blue suit. If you're, if you're um, uh, someone who's more casual... You wear a, a, a blue sports jacket and a pair of gray pants. You know, so there, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's an outfit for everything. And looking the right. part, like I said before, with the mastery of the skies, big, big, very important. Right, right. So we just have a few minutes left, but um, I just want to ask you uh, this question in, in terms of, you know, what should we look forward to, you know, in the next few years in, in terms of, you know, where job hunting in the market is going and, and one of the metaphors I use in terms of looking at how things change, and you will appreciate this, Scott, because I happen to know that you were a geology major in college. Mm. And so uh, I look at changes in terms of how the earth is made and that there, because you know, there are three different kinds of rocks. There are igneous rocks that are the result of volcanic eruptions. There are, you know, sedimentary rocks that are made of layers of earth like shale and sandstone and then metamorphic rocks like marble and schist. And so uh, obviously, you know, I'm very impressed see... with the geology there, Ronnie. Very impressed. Very nice. Yes, yes, yes. So um, so let me just ask you, so what do you see as, as going forward in terms of, um, um, you know, are, are there things, you know, that are happening slowly over time or are there things that are happening, you know, that, that well, there may be some, you know, volcanic things like uh, the, another pandemic, um, anything you see in terms of on the horizon of how the job market may or may not change? I would like to see every high school or college in America offer a one-credit mini-course on how to be a successful job hunter. Until uh, there is uniform education in this area, which we learn about on the street, basically, until there's uniform education, you're always going to have an unequal uh, playing field. And, and, and that's something that I've been trying to level ever since I got into the media with, with careers. Um, it's not there yet, but most high schools do have a career planning program of sorts. They do guide, it used to, I remember when we were kids, Ron, we, our, our guidance counselor helped us choose a college, not even a career. It was more mm-hmm. like, which, which college am I going to or, or am I not even going to college? Uh, but today there's much more career counseling. Uh, colleges have good career counseling departments. 
they, they've got knowledgeable directors of career services. They've, they've got the alumni that are part of the program now. So I think it's getting better. The learning of how to be a job hunter is getting more prevalent in high schools and colleges, but it's still got a long way to go. But when that does happen and it becomes learning about this is like learning about geometry or learning about journalism or learning about reading or learning about geology, uh, I think you're going to have a much more level playing field. That's great. So, see, Scott, there's so much more to talk about, but I think we're going to have to leave it there today. Uh, I first want to thank you for being a terrific and thought-provoking guest. Uh, we can keep it going even at the end of the show. You can, if you want to reach Scott, uh, Scott, what's the best way to reach you? Just your email? Zach. Yeah, it would be scott at execs, E-X-E-C-S, allied, A-L-L-I-E-D, Dot com. So Scott at execsallied.com. Great. And you can find out more about Scott if you go to my website, uh, rowellresources.com, and there's a tab there um, for 45 forward, and you can find out more about Scott's background and, and a link to his articles uh, and send me comments or questions or suggestions if you have them. Uh, you can get reach me at ron.rowell at gmail.com. And before I sign off, let me just say, be sure to join me next Monday, um, 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, and I'll be talking with a noted clinical psychologist, Andrea Gould-Marks, who will be talking about the meaning of friendship and all kinds of friendship and how we evolve from midlife on. So until next week, this is 45 Forward with Ron Roel. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.